You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. How many of you all know that there is nothing normal about the Christian life? That you're not created to be normal. We celebrated last weekend, Easter weekend, and Resurrection Sunday, and Jesus died for our salvation. Amen? He died for our salvation, but I like to say that he lived to be our example. And it says in the Bible that as he is in this world, so are we. There was nothing normal about how Jesus walked and operated on this earth. And as he wasn't normal, we are called not to be normal, but to live a supernatural life. We are called to be great. I'm going to say that again. We are called to be great. But you have to believe that you're called to be great. If we're created in God's image and in his likeness, then we are called to greatness. So today, for the next 27 minutes, I want to talk to you on the subject titled, The Courage to be Great. The Courage to be Great. I remember it was back in 2009 when uh, I started full-time ministry. And my father, he appointed me to be the senior, uh, senior, excuse me, the uh, youth pastor over the youth ministry. And I am still serving in that capacity. He also appointed me to be the international director of Bill Winston Ministries. And I was trying to figure out if he really heard from God or is this just an experiment? I said, you know, Dad, maybe you might want to reconsider this because I don't have an organizational leadership degree. I felt like I wasn't credentialed, that I didn't have enough uh, wisdom, or maybe I didn't have enough experience. But God saw something in me. My father saw something in me. And so, you know, I was doing ministry, and I remember teaching my very first youth service, and I was at the Wednesday night youth service, and I was in a full suit and tie. The kids were dressed down, they had shirts and t-shirts, and I was in a full suit and tie. And I was so nervous, and I just, I went through all the scriptures and all the notes, But God did a work that night, and I'll never forget it. And I remember last time I was here, I had the privilege of seeing uh, Joshua Bagg minister his first, uh, uh, I think his first sermon here on this pulpit to the general congregation. And it was a great time, praise God. Uh, And congratulations to him and his beautiful wife, Nikki, who just got married just this weekend. Praise God. Embarking on a wonderful journey together. I remember it was 13 years ago when my father asked me to minister for the first time on the platform to the general congregation. And I said, "Uh, Dad, I I don't know about that. And he rebuked the spirit of fear and told me that I had no way out. And I'm so thankful that I had a father that pushed me into doing things that I didn't feel like I was comfortable doing because I wasn't or didn't feel like I was ready. I questioned, you know, do I have what it takes to be great? Stepping into the maybe uh, um, spotlight or being able to walk in the shadow of the great things that my father has accomplished in ministry. I I, I had these doubts. I wondered, you know, should, should should I be more professional or am I funny enough 
Or am I quoting enough scriptures? Or am I stepping out in faith enough? Or am I being too much? Do I need to pull back? And I had so many questions about how can I be great? But I found greatness is wrapped in being who God has called you to be. And through this journey, I had to answer these questions and it brought me to John chapter 15 and verse 16. The scripture says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. We're commanded to be fruitful, but chose, we were chose and then God appointed us. He's appointed you for this specific time in history. He's appointed you for this specific location in the earth. And then he's told you to bear fruit. He's given you a purpose. And don't we all have these same questions that we want answered? Who am I? Who am I created to be? What am I created to do? We have to trust that God chose the right person for the assignment. To know that we have what it takes to fulfill the plan of God. If you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. You are God's best candidate and first choice for the purpose he's called you to. You are God's best candidate and first choice for the purpose that he's called you to. And this personal journey of discovery that I've gone through, it led me to write a book called Authentic. The confidence to be yourself, the courage to release your greatness. And it centers around this pillar of truth found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says this in the Amplified Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship, recreated in Christ, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined and planned beforehand for us, taking the paths which he had prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life, say good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Living the life that God wants us to live, it is wrapped in understanding that we are his workmanship his masterpiece, his crowning achievement. And when we don't know who we are, it's hard to live the life that we're supposed to live. And I believe that there's some things that God wants you to do to advance his kingdom. But you'll be reluctant to do them if you don't think that you're the right person for the assignment. In the Bible, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, a whole nation was saved by a teenage boy because he decided to be who God had called him to be. This young boy has a good name. We share a name. I'm talking about David, who was just but a youth, just but a teenager. He was the youngest of seven sons born to Jesse. And when the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. Jesse brought in his other seven sons and Samuel's rock, walking down the line and he thought, yeah, for sure it's going to be Eliab he, because he's tall and good looking and smart. He's the head of the class. He's the captain of the rugby team. 
But God said, he's not here. And Samuel said to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And he said, well, I got David, but I mean, he's out there keeping the sheep. Obviously, it can't be him. And Samuel said, well, bring him in. And God said to Samuel, don't look upon his stature because I don't see as man sees. I see the heart. And God said, this is the next king of Israel. Imagine, David was thought so little of that his own father didn't bring him in the house, didn't even bother to get him because he knew this couldn't be the next king. He was an unlikely candidate to save and deliver Israel. And we see that his brothers didn't like him very much by their responses to him. And even when he came to the battlefield, to bring them some food. He got them some Nando's. And they said, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Go away. His family didn't seem to think much of him. And you might be saying, how can he be God's first choice if he wasn't even his family's first choice? And I believe there could be some reasons for that. You know, Jewish historical texts, they actually talk about this story and record that they thought, his family thought that David could have been the product or result of an affair by his mother. And I don't have time to get into all of that, but he wasn't. But his family, they, they thought different of him. He felt like an outcast, yet he was still anointed to be the next king of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4, we see that David and the whole nation of Israel was faced with a giant-sized problem. Verse 4 says, a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So some historians estimate that he was about maybe nine or ten feet tall. He was a legitimate giant. And in verse 10, it says this, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And in verse 16, it said, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening, day after day after day, mocking the Israelites, mocking their God, mocking the fact that they didn't have enough courage to step up to him. And so what does David do? He goes to bring his brothers some food. He brought him the Nandos. And his brothers say, what are you doing here? And he hears Goliath making these threats. He hears Goliath shouting out, defying his God. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that you're going to let him talk to you all like this? Imagine the teenage boy calling out a bunch of warriors saying, you're, you're showing up every day to the battlefield to listen to him mock you? What shall be done to the man who defeats this uncircumcised Philistine? And the battle's calling out to him. And in verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And in verse 33, it says, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, 
and he is a man of war from his youth. David seemed like an unlikely candidate to save his people. But God was about to use him in an extraordinary way. I believe many of you all have heard this story before, but I want to highlight today three things that we can learn from David's experience. Because the story may not be unfamiliar to you, but I want to highlight some things that may be unfamiliar. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38 says, So Saul clothed David with his armor. So David says, I'm ready to fight. So what does Saul do? As a good king, he said, okay, I'm going to prepare you. He put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. And so David took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones. Now five is the number of grace. Five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So imagine Saul's trying to prepare him for this battle. He doesn't want David to die. He feels probably guilty that he's about to send a teenage boy out. He's got a bunch of trained warriors, but this teenage boy is about to go fight Goliath. And he says, so the least I can do is give you some equipment. I can give you some armor. And the Bible says that Saul stood head and shoulders over everyone else. He was tall. I like to think he was kind of built like a LeBron James, right? He was big, like a basketball player or something. He was tall. And so imagine his armor must have been big. It was suited for him. It was probably pretty heavy, but David was just a small boy. And imagine David trying to walk with this armor and it's heavy and bulky and doesn't fit right. And he's got the sword and he said, wait a minute. This is not how I do battle. He said, I haven't tested this. See, Saul was trying to equip him the way Saul is used to being equipped. But David has this, he has this sword and then he has this sling. And he said, I can go with what seems logical or I can go with what I've been using all along. I can go with what Saul is trying to equip me with or I can use the equipment that God gave me. And he's going between the two and he said, you know what? This seems like it would make sense, but I think I'm gonna lay this down because I have more faith in what God has already equipped me with. This is what I've been using all along. See, the first point I wanna tell you about is this, write this down. All you have is all you need. See, David only had a sling, right? And it looks strange. He's got the sling and these stones. He's about to go fight this giant Goliath. And people call this one of the best known underdog stories of all time. But you know what? I actually don't call it an underdog story because David was never an underdog. Now I know he had God with him and he said, God, you're going to go with me and help me fight this battle. And I know the Bible says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But let's get some perspective on this. See, David, he had this sling, but this wasn't the first time he was going to use the sling. As a matter of fact, if you look at history and study historical Jewish culture, you'll understand that for shepherds, 
their weapon of choice was a sling. They often used a sling because they had to fend off, you know, animals like lions and bears. They had to make sure to protect the sheep. So they used the sling. And as a matter of fact, these slings, you know, they could get so good with these slings that they could hit a bird in mid-flight. They could hit a target 200 meters out. They could sling this stone so quickly, it would be like 100 miles per hour or faster with the stopping power of a 45 millimeter handgun. They could get so good with this thing that they found a place in the army. They were called slingers. And they were in the army. And so what happened was, you know, Saul's trying to give David this, this, this army. He's trying to give him this sword. But David says, no, no, all I have is all I need. And when he steps up to the battlefield, Goliath is saying, come to me and I'll defeat you. And I can imagine David smiling, saying, you'll, you'll never even get close to me. I've got you beat before we even step on the field. Because David says, all I need is these stones. All I have is all I need. And I've learned that as we're going through life, life is our battlefield. Sometimes people are trying to equip us the way that they think we should be equipped. But God has already equipped you with everything you need to win the battle, to win at life, to do what God has called you to do to defeat giants. All you have is all you need. And sometimes I know we look at ourselves and say, well, well, maybe I don't have a fancy education. Maybe I'm not an eloquent speaker like him, or maybe I can't produce music like her, or write like this, or do this, but God isn't counting on you being somebody else. He's counting on you being who he's called you to be, who he's equipped you to be. Because that is the way you win. The way you think, your passions, your gifts, the way you create, your demeanor, the way you talk, the way you look, your unique genius. God is counting on that to get the job done. The courage to be great is about being who God has called you to be in the middle of adversity. When things get tight, you keep your integrity. You're bold enough to stand up to demonic systems and strongholds, to dare to tear down things that the enemy has tried to construct, to change culture, to change industry, to be a light in the darkness. Notice nobody asked David to do this. He volunteered for it because the battle was calling out to him. This morning, I want you to ask yourself, what's calling out to me? There's something that's calling out to you, something that stirs you up, something that you said, somebody's got to solve this problem. And let me tell you, if God has put it in your heart that somebody has to solve this problem, you just might be the elected problem solver. He sees the opportunity to serve his people. He was faithful. Which brings me to my second point that we can learn from David. Being faithful in obscurity will lead to victory publicly. 
being faithful in obscurity will lead to victory publicly. See, he was out in the field as a shepherd and he was fighting off these animals, fighting off lions, fighting off bears, and it seemed like he was in obscurity. He was doing a job where nobody else was around. He was being faithful over what his father had asked him to do. And sometimes we can go through life and, you know, we want the opportunities. We want the promotion. We want, we want that influence. We want a large following. But God asks, can you be faithful in obscurity? Before David got to a giant, he was taking care of sheep. And sometimes we want to try to step up and defeat giants. But God says, can you take care of sheep first? Can you do the job in obscurity first? Can you be faithful first? Can you show up to church at 6 a.m. to start setting up cones in the parking lot first? Can you come to prayer service first? Can you do the dirty work first? Way before I had a mop, uh, uh, excuse me, way before I had a mic, I had a mop. Because my first job in the ministry, I was cleaning the church. Before I spoke to any crowds of people, I was vacuuming the very pulpit that I now preach on. Can you be faithful in obscurity? And somebody somewhere, you might be looking for promotion. You're waiting for promotion. You're praying for promotion. But I have a secret for you. Faithfulness makes you a candidate to be promoted. And you're looking, you're, you're waiting but God says, just be faithful. Just be faithful. God is preparing you privately. Don't worry about trying to get noticed or recognized. When the moment comes, just be ready. And that brings me to my third point and my last point. God chose the right person for the assignment. God chose the right person for the assignment. Imagine David walking out to the battlefield with the stones, with the sling, and all the warriors looking at him like, are you crazy? Goliath is about to kill you. They're looking at King Saul like, why would you send this kid out here to be slaughtered? He looked like one of the most unlikely candidates to defeat Goliath. He's small in stature. He's not trained as a warrior, but yet he was exactly what Israel needed. You are exactly what God needs in Cape Town. You are exactly what God needs in your city. You are exactly what God is counting on because he puts solutions to problems in you. He's given you a unique genius. And so many times we're intimidated by the fact that we don't have maybe what other people have. David could have been intimidated by not being trained as a warrior, saying, I don't have the skills he has. And when we're intimidated, a lot of times it causes us to do this. We hide. Instead of displaying our gifts, we hide our gifts. Fearful of being ridiculed, of being rejected. What will they say? What will they think? especially being rejected by our family. It took courage for David to go out there on the battlefield. But I believe that it didn't just take him courage to go out there because Goliath was there. I have a little bit different 
interpretation of this. Because he knew what he could do with the sling and a stone. Now, I'm not saying it's any easy feat to face a 10-foot giant. But he knew what he could do. And he boldly declared, this day, the Lord will deliver you, giant, into my hands. He didn't sound like he was very nervous or scared. I believe one of the biggest battles he had to fight that day was the battle in his mind of being rejected by his family. Because in front of his brothers, he had to step out on that battlefield. How many times do we go through the battle in our mind where we're trying to step out into greatness and there might be people in your own family that don't believe in you? Who may not like you, who've talked about you, who've ridiculed you. You might have people at work, at school, in the neighborhood. There might be somebody maybe in this room who has discouraged you from stepping out where you're at, at our other campuses. But God says, you're the right person for the assignment. There's greatness locked up inside of you. And as long as you don't step out, that greatness will remain dormant. But God is counting on you to step out and face the giant. What giants are you facing here today? What battle has God called you to? I was facing a giant writing this book. Because you know what? The enemy kept telling me, you weren't very good at English and reading class. I was a good student, but that was one of my hardest subjects. I hated reading, Teresa. I really, I did. And as I got older as an adult, I understood the benefits of reading. But the enemy told me, you know how much you struggled with this before. What makes you think that you can write a book? What lies does the enemy try to tell you that keep you from stepping out into the battlefield? See, there's two battles. There might be one battle on the battlefield, but then there's another battle in our mind before we even get there that tries to convince us not to step out, not to step out in faith, not to do what God has called us to do. But the giant that you're facing, you've already been given the victory. You've already been given the victory. What is God telling you? Write a book, write that song, produce that music. Start that organization. Start that business. You may say, well, all I can do is, is, is do these crafts or all I can do is create necklaces with beads. Then start it. Start right where you are. You have to have courage to be great. Everything great started from something small. Everything great. Let me finish up here quickly. I want to tell you this. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the just shall live by faith. You're in a faith battle. You're in a faith fight. And notice God may not allow you to avoid facing giants, but he'll always assist in the battle. Somebody here today, you might be asking God, God, what's up? 
I feel like you're leaving me out here all alone. I feel like I'm stepping up and I'm, and I'm waiting to see your power manifest. What's going on? And I'm telling you this. This is what God spoke to me. God is not setting you up to lose. I'm going to say that again. God is not setting you up to lose. One more time. God is not setting you up to lose. God is faithful. And when you step out on his promises, you'll see his promises manifest in your life. I believe that you're about to see a move of God like never before. And sometimes we can feel like God is, is almost like punishing us. Like we're stepping out and God, where are you? I know that you're faithful. I know that your word is true. I've seen you do it for others, but I need to see you do it for me. Who am I talking to this morning? Who knows that God is calling them to step out? calling them to greatness. You're tired of mediocrity. You're tired of just sitting still. You're tired of the naysayers filling your mind, making you think that you are not the right person for the assignment. But I'm here to tell you, friend, you are. I've come all the way from Chicago to remind you that you are born to be great. You were not born to be normal. You were born to be great. But the only way you can release your greatness is through that pressure being applied. And in that moment, you have to make a decision to trust God. To trust God. How many people in here do I have that say, I'm going to trust God? With everything in me, I'm going to trust God. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are not going to face any battle that you can't win, but you're not going to fight the battle alone. God is with you. And he's chosen you for this appointed time to make an impact on the world. Stop doubting what God has put inside of you. It's special. It's unique. And it's going to help advance the kingdom. Give your gift back to God. Walk by faith and not by sight. And you'll see greatness. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this opportunity, Lord, to receive of your word to receive of you. Lord, I thank you for the gifts and talents and abilities, the unique genius that you put in your people. I thank you, Father God, that it shall be manifest at the right season, at the right time, Lord, that you are filling your people with faith that replaces fear. Give them clarity where there was confusion. Give them strength and courage, Lord, where there was timidity, that they could step out and be everything that God, you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.